Hlu, Kai Hlu, Hedran Hlu. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, here with the great Dr. Carl Totten. Good afternoon, all. And on today's show, we're going to talk about a little bit of how the Dow was kind of the antidote to the Western mind. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Taoism, and uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Chapter 4 of the Tao Te Ching. So, uh, to get started here, first of all, you can follow us on Twitter at What's this Dow? And uh, if you listen to our last show, what you could do is you can tweet that and tweet, Todd, stop looking at your phone. <laughs> so we can have the audience remind me of my personal character flaws. <laughs> uh, so uh, I-, I was thinking the other day, and this came from a listener mail that I sent to somebody, but uh, I, that we'll probably get, get to on a future show. But I was thinking that one of the ways that Taoism completely changed my perception on reality is when I, you know, I first kind of read the Tao Pu, and it, it felt like previous to kind of understanding the Tao, I only kind of looked at one half of the world. You know, Alan Watts always talks about like life is a continuing circle of on and off switches, right? That uh, all of our perceptions, it's either you know, it's light and it's dark, and it's this, this kind of yin and yang. There's sound and there's silence, and this is kind of back and forth. And that kind of the, the way the Western mind or how it's raised is you're embracing doing, you're embracing fullness, you're embracing sensory overload, uh, you're embracing achievement, whereas that uh, with Taoism... When, when sometimes maybe I would feel, you know, that you have like an empty feeling or a, f- a feeling of not being fulfilled, where previously that would bother me, you know, and it would be a, a, f- a cause of anxiety or stress. And then now it's like, oh, wow, that, it's a beautiful thing because I'm just waiting to be fulfilled, right? Um, and, you know, and, and, and also embracing nothingness, that nothingness is just as powerful as something, Mm-hmm. You know, um, the idea that silence is wonderful, um, emptiness, being in the moment, all these things that were, you know, seen as negatives to me. I have nothing. This, you know, this is nothing. You know, um, silence is a note, right? You start to realize in life. So um, it really changed that perception of reality. And I, and I, that's it's one reason why you know I think everybody should read the Tao, read the Tao Te Ching, because uh, you end up psychologically changing. Um, because I've even got to the point where unfortunate things have happened to me, mm-hmm. and I've been happy about it mm-hmm. because I thought this just 
I'm glad that right now, like if my life is going really well, then something bad happens, I go, I'm glad something bad happened. Because this almost, you know, because life always just finds its baseline, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could have everything in the world. You could actually be fulfilled, but you, you know, you could have whatever. And eventually life just reaches a baseline. Mm-hmm. And even though it's good, it's, it, everything kind of reverts to zero mm-hmm. at a certain point. So when something unfortunate happens, it's like, oh, this is just, you know, a cleansing thing that then mm-hmm. something fortunate can happen down the line. I can experience that joy because mm-hmm. now I know, you know, I'm taking the bitter with the sweet. Yes. Because life really is like, it's like a sine wave, right? Mm-hmm. A wave. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. Our task as a practitioner of the Tao, I think, is to not get overly attached or caught up in either the ups or the downs, mm-hmm. because it's it's going to come back. Right. And so if we're trying to hold on to a position when it's naturally going to swing and have a natural just pattern of, of variation, then we're not in harmony with the Tao. We're out of step with the Tao. We're out of alignment with the Tao. Mm-hmm. And that creates only what? More disharmony. Right. More confusion. More pain. More suffering. More, more, more. When what we want in life is less and less until what we have is exactly what we need, mm-hmm. no more and no less. It's just perfect. Right. And because we're fulfilled, then we, are, of course, are free to be in, of service to others so that others can come to the same type of equanimity yeah. and serenity and peace. And then w- when we're fulfilled, and then we can help others. Exactly. And when, when we're busy riding exactly. the, the sine wave of life, right? When we're, when we're on the, um, the bucking bronco of desire, <laughs> we're not of much help to anybody. No. Right? No. So now this is just, you know, um, I, and so everything, once you kind of understand this balance, this, as you say perfectly, sine wave of reality, Almost everything becomes okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that one should, you know, look in the face of horror and tragedy and not feel moved by it. Mm-hmm. But it's an under, you know, it's on, on a deeper level. You are seeing that there is a a harmony going on, or this this can be an opportunity for something mm-hmm. great to happen, or mm-hmm. you know, um, it's like the seasons of the year. Mm-hmm. Right? It can't always be spring. You can't just have continuous uh, creation and growth all the time, because then you'd be crowded out, right? Right. There'd be no space for anything else. And so there's a spring, it has a lot of growth. There's kind of a summer where where things are a little bit drier, but then in the fall, what happens again? There's a lot of nurturance, right? Things begin to grow, but then there's a winter, right? Mm -hmm. Where things slow down again. Then the bears go into hibernation. Right? Right. The leaves are falling off the trees, right? Preparing for yet another spring. Mm. Every human being's life is exactly like that. But if we get attached to any one of those periods, then we're out of step with the flow, and we're going to actually be creating a problem by trying to hold on too intently to something that we perceive in the moment as being favorable or good. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like uh, growing up in Southern California, where the weather tends to be good all the time, 
and it's almost out of balance. The weather is so good, right? Mm -hmm. And so that even when it changes slightly, and now it's sixty degrees out, <laughs> it's it's a horror show, <laughs> right? When everybody else, because they've rode this sine wave, they can manage that, and us, we can't figure out how to drive when it rains. Or we're, oh no, we're we're <laughs> it, well, ill prepared, and our bodies are too coddled yeah, by out, the weather. Out of step with the flow of the Dow. That's right. <laughs> so even what's just Constant being fortunate is bad. Which <laughs> is the funny thing. Yeah. We should appreciate things for what, when they're there. And when they're not there, well, that's part of the process. Is it the, but in the, the blessed are the things that come and go easily. Yes. I believe it says somewhere yes. in the Tao. Um, so uh, moving on here, I've been reading a sacred Taoist text <laughs> called Taoism for Dummies. Ha. <laughs> And uh, it was funny. I got the book because I wanted to learn more about the history of Taoism, you know. And it was actually a very well written book. I've, mm -hmm. I, for the life of me, I don't have the the name of the author, but it's a very well written book and very well researched. And um, it kind of, as somebody who just kind of pays attention to what, what we usually talk about on the show, was like philosophical Taoism. It talked a lot about the kind of religious Taoism in China. Mm -hmm. And then also, interesting, the history in which Taoism sprang forth, like the historical context. And the interesting thing was, you, in, in the book, they say the original Taoists didn't call themselves Taoists. Right. Like, from our perspective, we call it Taoism. Kind of like the original, you know, Hebrews or Jews didn't really call themselves, they weren't studying Judaism, they're just kind of studying the story <laughs> of what happened there. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> And so the Taoists were really just people who were trying to follow the way. Yes. And it, and it was, and it's later, maybe in America, because we have to attach an ism to things or whatever, that we, <laughs> we call it Taoism, which is kind of it's like way-ism, which is kind of meaningless, really, in its own way. But an important thing to understand about how Taoism came out is, I guess... Uh, the the dynasty in China was disrupted, I think, around the, the year 770 uh, BCE. And what happened was, I guess, a, a group from the north came in, and I think they, they, they like murdered the king, uh, and, and the whole, all of China kind of went into disarray, and it was less connected than before. So uh, to, to help, quote, make China great again, a whole bunch of scholars started getting to work on figuring out the best ways of doing certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, you would have a military school, and be all these thinkers and philosophers came together to figure out the best way to do that, and that's how, like, the art of war came about. And then you had, you know, people who were, you know, the best minds trying to figure out how to educate people the mm -hmm. best. So it's almost like you had... Um, the best and the brightest all working together on specific things, and this is what was known as the Hundred Schools period. Yes. Um, and so that it, it was kind of like a renaissance in China, uh, which was like a golden age of Chinese thought. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now, now fill in any spots where I might be wrong here. But so in, in within this, um, also ideas of morality and ethics were being kind of shopped about and debated and fought over in the best way that for people to run their lives. And the two competing ideas that came out were Confucianism and Moism. And now Confucianism, we've talked about on the show before, is, is a kind of a, a standard set of rules or ways that each different little aspect of civic and family life should be handled. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a rigid structure, and that by following this, uh, we're going to have the best-run 
society. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Moism was a little bit more of an emotional idea that was based around universal love. Yes. Um, that's about all I know about Moism. <laughs> yeah, in fact, they believe that, quote, everyone is equal before heaven. Mm-hmm. And that people should seek to imitate heaven by engaging in the practice of collective love. Right. That's pretty radical. Yeah, they're like hippies, you know. <laughs> yeah, kind of the original hippies, you know. Um, it's kind of like you have the you have the hippies versus the squares here. You have the Confucians <laughs> who are probably you know voting for Nixon, and you have the the hippies in the streets here with the Moas, right? Yeah, and. Uh, and it was kind of a uh, in contrast to the the, the structure of the uh, followers of Confucius, who put a lot of emphasis on uh, the proper relationships between the person and the state, between members of the family, between a wife and her husband, the children and their parents, and even the structure of you know which what child is in what position. Often based, by the way, on gender, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and a birth when you were born, birth order. Yeah, see a lot of structure, a lot of structure. Now, why why did that come about? Well, as I think you alluded to, China was in chaos for centuries. You had wars after war. You had empires. You had battles. You had these kind of warlords all over the place. You know, emperors. You know, dynasty after dynasty. And how did all of these people hold on to power? Just guess. Hmm. They killed each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you had chaos and violence. And so out of that maelstrom of, of uh, just disharmony, people were looking for structure and order of some type. But one of the, one of the negatives that accrues sometimes from too much structure is that the collective well-being and is imposed externally by rules and regulations mm-hmm. and so the individual and their freedom becomes overly constrained and then what happens when people feel overly constrained they tend to rebel right. eventually mm-hmm. and then the whole cycle starts all over again right. right so people are trying to be free they rebel they become in charge, and then what do they do? They impose order and rules right, to right. try to keep everything the way that they like it. Right. <laughs> and so this cycle has repeated throughout history over and over and over and over again. And we see it in our own country oh, to this very day. very much so. Very much so. So is there another way? <laughs> is there another way? Well, there was the way. <laughs> well, and here you have Taoism, Right. The way, uh, a a way which is in harmony with the great Tao, which is nature herself. Mm-hmm. And when I and notice, I said herself. Right. You know, whereas most of these schools had a distinct patriarchal <laughs> bent to right. them, Taoism definitely is a more feminine path, uh, the path of least resistance, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, allowing things to just kind of find their own level, be their own way, be in accord with their own inner nature. That almost sounds like women's intuition, doesn't right, it? Right. And talking about, you know, Lao Tzu, in fact, he talked about, right, the, the great mother, if you will. Uh, 
In fact, I think we're going to talk about that. Yes. Uh, soon. Funny how this stuff always... <laughs> it all comes together, yeah. uh, doesn't it? Um, yeah, there's a chapter in the Tao Te Ching where um, uh, Lao Tzu talks about that. I think I, we're going to get to that, I think, in a future show. Mm-hmm. But um, for... Now, mo- I was going to say for men, for males who throughout history have been in charge of things. And so if things are a mess, who's responsible for yeah. it? Women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, women, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that many countries around the world now have actually been electing uh, female presidents and mm-hmm. leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we came close here ourselves and yeah. kind of missed it a little bit uh, uh, this last year. Yeah. But... You know, I often say when people ask me, well, you know, who do you think should be in charge here? I said, you know, for the last five to 10,000 men, years, men have kind of run the show. Mm-hmm. And it's been this cycle of violence mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Whereas women, being the ones who actually give birth and nurture children, I think very naturally, not that men don't don't participate and nurture their children too. Yeah. You're a new dad. You, obviously you do that. Yeah. But overall, I think if you look at who is responsible most for creating states of uh, aggression and violence, it, it's for the most part, it's the men. Yeah. And so since men have been in charge for the last, you know, five or 10,000 years, well, why don't we let the uh, women, uh, run things for the next hundred years or so and just see what happens. Just give them a shot. (laughs) Give them a shot. Um, So that would be my recommendation. Uh, uh, You know, vote vote the the women in. Although, you know, it's like the brain. You know, we have a right brain and a left brain, right? And the left brain is considered to be more more, um, masculine and the right brain is considered to be more feminine. And that's not exactly true because it's all a same brain, you know, but it's just we process things a little differently from one hemisphere to the others. Mm. But they're interconnected, obviously. But since most women are more in touch with this kind of this natural intuition, it just seems to accrue to them just as part of just their natural gifts yeah. as just being born a woman, you know, a woman who has the capacity perhaps to give birth and certainly comes from a history of other women for thousands of years giving birth that kind of mothering instinct, instinct, you know, to nurture and to care for, I think tends to, in general, come more instinctive and instinctual in that gender. Yes. And so I encourage, uh, again, um, you know, women to, to uh, spread the wealth, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And for men to get more in touch with their feminine side they're more gentle and yielding and loving and caring side as opposed to the side that wants to dominate, manipulate, control, be in charge. The ego, if you will. Mm-hmm. And throughout the Tao Te Ching, obviously Lao Tzu was cautioning against yeah. that all the time, all the time. And so I think, that beca- that's, I think that's one of the reasons why all these centuries, what, 2,500 years now, the Tao Te Ching has been so well regarded because it has been another voice it has been a a, and a voice kind of in distinction to these uh trends towards being more dominant more manipulative more in control 
It's kind of an, as I was saying earlier, it's kind of an antidote. It's an antidote. To that way that it's an antidote. humans tend to gravitate or have a, a natural pull towards that kind of patriarchal ideas, right? And this yes. is an, an antidote to that inclination by uh, humanity. Yes. So, so the Taoism kind of arose as a way of almost laughing and making fun of this abs- absurd idea that you could impose this kind of external order yes. and kind of in a, in a way, as they used to always say about the Soviet Union, that the Soviet Union made the river run backwards. <laughs> right, and uh, there's only so long you can make the river run backwards, and uh, the Taoists were kind of like, wait, let's not make the river run backwards. Let's go with the natural way things work, and then things will flourish if we just abide by, if we if we play with the house rules. Yes, yes. if we if we work with the grain of the universe. But then, what is the grain? And that's obviously in the Tao Te Ching. We get into what is the grain? What is yes. this flow? What are these cycles right. that we need to understand? Ooh, right. The uncarved block. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What is, what is one's original nature? And how do you discern that and discover that in a world which often seems to be conspiring against allowing persons to be in touch with and harmony with and expressing their original nature? Uh, instead, we're, we tend to be uh, pressure to conform, mm-hmm. you know, to what the what the greater whole is doing, but not necessarily for the greater good, because this pressure to conform tends to divide society into the haves and the have-nots, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and so the 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 so-called uh, j- common order out there is is not equitable. Mm-hmm. It is not fair. It is not balanced. In spite of the what you know, fair and balanced, right? That's yeah. a, <laughs> a slogan out there. Right. But it is anything but fair and balanced. In fact, that, that that's almost a a, a snide commentary yeah. on the way things actually are. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's getting us to believe a fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think that each of us has to you know kind of look in our heart and look for guidance in nature because nature cannot help itself. It has to go through those cycles of spring, summer, fall, and winter every year. It, it, it cannot not do that. Yeah. It's built into its very structure and nature, the way, the nature of think, how things are. But as we have become, you know, more developed, you know, over the centuries and, you know, created pockets of governance to rule and control things, to that extent, I think we have lost our way Mm. and we've lost our capacity to easily sense what actually is in rhythm and harmony with each person's individual way. And uh, one of the things, in fact, that Confucius said was, let the ruler be a ruler and the subject a subject. Right. (laughs) But he did contend that a king needed to be virtuous in order to rule the state properly. So the functions of government and social stratification were part of life that had to be sustained by by ethics and values. And um, so it, it was an attempt to put into place some type of structure that would allow society to function properly. But in so doing, it seemed to often squelch 
um, uh, some of um, uh, the capacity of the individual, you might say, to follow their own dream. Mm-hmm. You know? And by the way, it's said that Lao Tzu and Confucius met. Mm-hmm. And now, Confucius was a man of many words, as we yeah. know. <laughs> he was never at a loss for words, except it is said when he met Lao Tzu, he was dumbfounded, struck mute. And in fact, since he couldn't say anything, he was so shocked that after he left, he went back to his founders, to his followers, and he said to them, today, I met a dragon. Yes. <laughs> I met a dragon. He was so impressed. So this school of the way uh, eventually d- developed in a way that kind of um, countered the popular kind of authority of the day and still serves to this day as kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a way of, you know, that, that there's a natural order that we can embrace and that in many ways can fulfill uh, the needs of, the, of, of people just naturally much better than an authoritarian kind of bend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that we have a little bit of uh, context for the Tao Te Ching, let's go to chapter four <laughs> that was selected by Dr. Carl Totten for today's show. In chapter four, Lao Tzu says the following. The Tao is an empty vessel. It is used but never filled. Oh, unfathomable source of 10,000 things. Blunt the sharpness. Untangle the knot. Soften the glare. Merge with dust. Oh, hidden deep but ever present. I do not know from whence it comes. It is the forefather of the gods. Mm. Well, that's pretty profound, isn't yes. it? So what is this description kind of in the beginning of the book where we're trying to describe what this Tao is? And Lao Tzu is advising that the Tao is, in fact, the limitless source of all. And while it can be used and utilized, it's never exhausted. If we can live in harmony with this perspective, then we'll be able to do what he says blunt the sharpness, untangle the knots of life. (laughs) And as I'm sure all of us know, there's plenty of sharp edges in everyone's life yes, and lots of knots and entanglements, right? Right. Just think about your relationships. Yes. (laughs) I was dealing with it earlier today. (laughs) Look around the world. Look at the different political parties. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see knots? Do you see sharp edges anywhere? Yes. <laughs> and so Lao Tzu says, no, soften the glare. Merge with dust. Kind of ashes to ashes, right? Mm-hmm, dust mm-hmm. to dust. Um, by abiding with the Tao, we can have a fulfilling life that resists the depletion, confusion, and conflicts which arise from Excessive comparisons. Mm-hmm. Excessive comparisons. The Tao, in contrast, is, while hidden deep, ever-present. So the obvious disparities of this world are largely artificial. They're stemming from greed and ego, leading to unequal valuation among people, with the resultant sense of disparity and lack of abundance, which is palpable. You can see it and feel it everywhere. People are always feeling that they never have enough mm-hmm. and they always want more. No matter how much they actually have, they want more right. and more right. and more. And, and even if that includes 
taking away from others who therefore wind up with almost nothing. Yeah. And that disparity has become huge in modern society. But as the source of all of the 10,000 things, the Tao is never exhausted, mm -hmm. and it's always in abundance. So, as a little exercise that I came up with, that everybody can do right now, just kind of look around wherever you are, look around your house, look around your life, mm -hmm. and ask yourself, what are you really most grateful for? What do you need to really be happy, to truly be happy and content, and why? What really matters to you, and what could you do without? You know, this type of just self-observation and examination can often lead to vast insights into the meaning and true value of your life so that the things you organize your time and energy around are those things which are going to truly be nurturing your spirit, enriching your soul, mm -hmm. as opposed to being something that, well, I heard that, or the society is saying that I should value this that or the other and pursue that even though what really matters to me might be completely different mm -hmm. maybe at heart I feel that I'm a cook I'm a poet I'm a gardener mm -hmm. right I'm someone who's here to paint uh, I'm here to create something that is in harmony and alignment with how I feel at my deepest level and people who are able to express their life in that fashion wind up at the end of their life with no regrets. Those who have followed something external, you know, making masses of money, you know, collecting things, uh, at the end they feel that, you know, I missed it. Mm -hmm. I missed it. And they feel regret. They feel depleted and empty. And they, they real, because they realize that they've wasted the most precious thing that we have, which is our life and our time. And when our life and time is organized around expressing that which we most deeply feel we are truly are, when that becomes our motivant energy and force, we're content, mm -hmm. we're serene. That to me is at the core and heart of the Taoist path. Right. As a, like you said, as an antidote to what society and definitely the media is socializing and conditioning us to believe. Mm -hmm. Every time. You cannot read an ad, a commercial, a marketing pitch, you know, without being pushed to purchase something that they say you need. Right, that will fulfill you. Uh, there's, there's. It's funny. I was, I was reading Derek Lynn's uh, tr kind of translation, his, his thoughts on this. And was, in, in the beginning, you talk, you know, talk about the Tao is an empty vessel. It is used but never filled. Mm -hmm. It's an unfathomable, you know, source of ten thousand things. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of he described it as the pregnant void. Mm. About how there is it. There's an unending, you know. Energy, matter, you know, cannot be destroyed or created. It's yes. just this constant changing of things. Right. And it, it, there's never going to be any scarcity uh, unless it's perceived because mm -hmm. we are in a, kind of a, in an abundant universe. Right. We're in a sea of chi. 
Yes. You know, in quantum mechanics, quantum physics, you know, we're, we're, we're in this interconnected field, you know, which consists of kind of mo- moving waves of interconnected energy. And what causes it to kind of uh, solidify into something that is tangible is consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's what we, and so the level of our consciousness helps to determine the reality within which we exist. So if we exist at a very low level of, of consciousness where we see disparity and scarcity at, all over the place, then that is what we're, that, what, you know, what you see is what you get. Right. <laughs> and if that's all that we see, then that is how we're going to experience our life. Mm-hmm. Some of the most fulfilled and happy people I've ever met are actually people that, in terms of material possessions, have very little. Mm-hmm. Very, very little. But they have themselves, and they have each other, and they enjoy nature, and they enjoy fully everything they have. Whereas many people who have much, much more are in this endless p- pursuit of exactly that, much, much more. <laughs> and they are never content, and they are never satisfied, no matter how much they acquire. It's, it's almost that kind of acquiring that is the symptom, right? Like the guy who acquires a whole bunch is a guy who is so driven because he's not being fulfilled by it. Yes. It, you know, it adds you know, to itself. It yes. self-perpetuates. And that's why now some of the people I actually admire the most were some who actually have acquired some of the most, the mega billionaires, and several of them, you know what they're doing? They're giving it all away. Buffett and yeah. you know. Gates that is sharing. Yeah. They say the rest of their life they will just share. Yeah. Because they realized, they learned the lesson. Unlike other people who are billionaires who just quest for more and more and more, you know. Right. You know. Well, I think that's a good pay- place to end on today's episode. Sharing. Sharing. Yes. Sharing is caring. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.